This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Speaker, author, and cancer survivor, Judy L. Pearson finds inspiration no matter where it leads. But when a family situation creates undue stress, which has left her heartbroken, she endeavors to research a new plan, one where self-care takes a more active role. Hi, Judy. Good to see you. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. Sure. So what would you like coaching on today? Well, you know, it's a, it's a big topic. So we've got what, like six hours here? Is that right? <laughs> yes, we have about seven and a half. Actually. <laughs> so it's, it's the famous word stress. And um, I once saw a meme that I thought was pretty funny that said, remember, stressed is just desserts spelled backwards. And I thought that was pretty cute. But the fact of the matter is, Americans in particular, I know about them the most, we always say we're stressed. And as it happens, at this very moment in my life, um, there are a number of family things going on that have raised my stress level probably higher than it's ever been. The good news is, it's not my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so in seeking things that, that, uh, calm me. Um, I mean, I'm to the point where I have headaches where I, that I don't usually have. I can sleep without a problem, but I go to sleep and I wake up focused on all these issues over which I have no control. None of them are really my fault. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, I need to fill in the blank. It's just watching much loved family members and not being able to do anything. And so I'm really good at telling myself, you know, it's, it's out of my control. There's nothing I can do, but those are just blah, blah, blah words. <clears throat> so I'm interested in talking about different stress relievers. And I'm interested in your opinion on various types of meditation, because I've not been a great meditator before. I'm a super busy, super active person. So sitting in a dark room quietly for 20 minutes, I just go to sleep. (laughs) 
So, and, and I know that's a really broad subject. Do you want me to narrow it down some, or do you want to just start talking, start talking? Yeah, no. So what I heard you say is that there's a lot of stress in your life outside of your immediate sort of circle in terms of it's more extended to your family. Right. Uh, am I correct? Yes. So what would be a great outcome for today? You know, just to be made aware of some tools either that are new to me or tools that, um, that I could refine that I already know. And as a cancer survivor, obviously 10 years ago, uh, I was uh, about five weeks away from the end of my treatment, but all of that is, is enormously stressful. Um, Sabio, I don't think I was this stressed even then. I mean, this has really been a gut punch. Okay. So you just want some strategies or to refine certain tools or techniques that you've been exactly. using. Exactly. Exactly. So stress, what, what, what conjures up this idea of stress for you? Um, so when I think about stress, again, I think about a cartoon where the woman's hair is all standing on end and, you know, she looks like that face in, in the painting, the scream and um, all those things, which are rarely reality. I mean, if you look at a room full of 10 people, several of them are probably stressed, but they don't look like that person. So it's this cartoon sort of image. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I feel inside is the cartoon image. So I saw you pointing here in your chest area. Is, is, does that have any significance? Um, I, I've had these funny little chest flutters and these funny little mind things, mind zings, like little electric things. Um, so much so the, the chest thing, um, I actually have been working with a cardiologist because one of my chemo drugs, uh, adriamycin, has known cardiac implications. Good news, after a gazillion tests, I don't have any of those things. So we're now working on um, some, some lung challenges. Um, they said, well, maybe your oxygen level is low, so or some lung things, but I don't know. I just, because when I'm anxious, I, I feel it in my chest. And I think maybe because I'm so heartbroken, because I don't want people I love to be in such distress. Would you like to explore this feeling in, yeah. in that area? Okay. Yeah. So I want you to get comfortable in, in your seat. If you feel safe or inclined, you can close your eyes or soften your gaze. And we're just going to do um, just a quick breathing exercise where we breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. I right, so just want you to breathe into the top of your head, your forehead, your eyes, your cheeks, your ears, your nose, your lips, your mouth, your neck, shoulders, your upper body, your chest, your torso, your arms, your lower body, your legs, your feet. Just take a couple more breaths in and out. 
what's pinging for you right now, Judy? Well, that feels good. <laughs> Probably <clears throat> because when you say to concentrate on particular body parts like that, um, when you do, all else seems to fade away. Um, and ironically, my forever faithful companion, my, my big dog is lying in here also with her eyes closed and breathing heavily. So I was sort of patterning my breath to her and she gives me great comfort. So I think both those things. When you think about the situation with your family and you mentioned sort of this overwhelming sort of, you know, feeling and pain in the chest area, how, What's happening now in, in that area for you? My chest feels okay. Um, today, I've had more, um, more headachey symptoms than anything else. <clears throat> Ironically, I have an oncology appointment uh, next week, <laughs> yeah. although that does not bring me stress. That, that's never brought me stress, so that's a good thing. Um, but the breathing I think is very helpful and the closing your eyes so that you aren't looking around going, Oh, I need to clean that shelf. Oh, I need to blah, blah, blah. And sitting up straight is important, I think, and not having a headrest. So I can't just snooze. Mm. Now with your family situations, what would you hope would be the best outcome for the situation? Well, the Disney magical kingdom outcome would be that it just, we woke up and none of it had happened and it was all gone. But that of course is only a fanciful wish. Um, I guess that each individual involved find the help that they need and Never forget that we're family and we all love each other. And I think at the root, they know that. Um, most of them do. But that would be so that we can then work beyond. I also realize that when events like mine occur, in addition to the stress at inability to really do anything there's also grief because you know not now being able to do the things we had maybe planned or i had planned going into the holidays and you know there's just it's all too raw it's all too new and so all of that plays into this as well Are there any methods or techniques or tactics that you can use to help bring them to your realization? Um, I exercise already. Um, I've gotten away from yoga. In fa I hike and then I do some free weights. So I've gotten away from yoga in favor of the free weights. So perhaps going back to the yoga might help. 
I love that. Um, I've recently become introduced to transcendental meditation. I've not yet tried it, but I'm very interested in that. Um, how do you feel about either of those? Well, you know, TM seems to help a lot of individuals. There's a lot of celebrities that, um, you know, use it. Is that practical in your life? Um, I don't know. From, I mean, from what I've learned, it doesn't seem doesn't seem terribly time invasive or resource invasive. Um, you know, twenty minutes a couple times a day, I think, is to have some kind of relief from all of this would be well worth it. It's like you know, a magic pill. But again, I, I don't know very much about it other than having been introduced to it and discussed it. So I know you as a writer. So um, how can you use that skill that you have of writing to help you cope with this situation? You know, sometimes, so I write nonfiction, which requires research. And... Um, I have, I have discovered in all of my four books and the one I'm currently working on, that periodically I stumble on um, research material that sort of hits home. Now, my biographies primarily are about people who are no longer living. Um, confidentially, they're easier to write about. <laughs> I don't argue <laughs> with you. <laughs> Um, and so interestingly, the woman I'm writing about now really completely revamped the National Institutes of Health um, from the 40s moving forward, including being the lead architect on many of the institutes. It's because of her that it is plural institutes and used to just be National Institute of Health. One of the institutes that she helped to create was mental health. And, and this is just all coming to me now. And while I think from what I already know about her, her intent was because her husband suffered from depression. Her first husband was an alcoholic. I think, um, I think we forget that mental health isn't just for those who are diseased, you know, and, and are at, at the end of their rope and this is all they can, all they can do is, is hope for the NIH uh, to help them. It, it's also for those of us who aren't necessarily dealing with depression or alcoholism on a daily basis. So I wonder if somehow I could get some inspiration from what I've already collected about the Mental Health Institute. And how would you start that process? Well, and of course, I was just going to say that. So, of course, I've always been one. There, there is a wonderful book that I read um, when I was in college. I, I majored in French in college. And so it was written by the author Voltaire called Candide. Um, it's in English as well. And it's a really great book, and I highly recommend it to everyone. It's semi-autobiographical semi-fiction 
But Candide gets into these horrible, horrible scrapes. And at the end of every chapter, he looks around and says, but this is the best of all possible worlds. And, you know, sort of a Pollyanna kind of a kind of an ending. And that's sort of always been my premise as well. And I also know that when you go through tough times, when you get to the other side and you can turn around and look at your footprints in the sand coming through it, you realize how that experience is going to help you do something else. So in the case of my research, maybe looking at the books and the articles that I have that talk about what her inspiration was to create the Mental Health Institute, maybe, maybe something will resonate. I mean, even though it was, uh, I think that was the late 50s, late uh, 40s, early 50s, so it was a long time ago. But that doesn't mean that that same motivation can't be instrumental today. Are there other pieces of information from your research and writings that you could implement with your family specifically? Um, you know, that's a good question. And the answer is I, I really don't know. Um, I love quotes, but <laughs> if I start throwing quotes at them, <laughs> they'll stop speaking to me. <laughs> so I think, um, I th think it's better for me to back from what I can learn from the material. Um, I'm looking over at the at the shelf of shelves of all these books. If I can find something in there to somehow um, make it work for me, because I'm sure my family members are under equal, if not greater, um, stress. I mean, I'm just I'm just the the um, witness to all of this. <clears throat> um, although obviously it affects me tangentially because I love them so. Um, but if I can somehow wrap my mind around things, um, the, the other problem is that some of them are very <laughs> anti-therapy of any sort, um, very independent, very strong-willed, um, so it's going to have to come from inside them as well. So, you know, I also am someone who frequently talks about or recognizes, you know, I feel really crummy today, but wow, I'm not them or I'm not her. Or as you and I said before we started recording, it's not cancer. Although being stressed is not good for cancer survivors, it can, which is, I think, what Candide's message was, it can always be worse. We may feel badly, but it can always be worse. That sometimes helps me, but I think that's a personal thing more than something that, that anyone else would be able to wrap their minds around. 
You know, you mentioned there's a couple of players in this with your family members. If you was to parse out each one of their motivations, what what would they want? What what do they need? Well, first and foremost, they would certainly be distraught um, if they knew the level of my stress. I, I know that because even though it's been 10 years since cancer, um, they would certainly be concerned that that kind of stress would be harmful to me. Um, I think a little bit, even though they're adults, I think a little bit, they, they too wish it could just go away. Um, and I think being incredibly able adults, they feel frustrated at not being able to fix it, which is also my problem. I'm a fixer. Um, and and that, so that's, that's a tough thing for me to just step away from and say, I can't fix this. All I can do is be there and love them all. And um, I believe that they know that. I believe that with all my heart. Um, but I think they too would like it to be, you know, six months from now or three months from now when it was all better. If, if, that, if it's going to be all better in three or six months. And with all the wisdom that you've collected over the years in your writings, is there a way to impart that wisdom to them somehow where they can, as you call it, sort of fix it? Well, um, as I say, since some of them are, are very anti-therapy, which I always think it's beneficial speaking to people um, and speaking to experts, people wiser than I am, people who who have made it their lives to know about a topic. Um, so absent that, um, I think I think one of the greatest um, tools that we now have is the ability to to really dig into things via the internet. You know, it used to be you had to work really hard to get information. Don't get me wrong, I love researching at libraries, but um, but in these cases, um, there's some some fairly. I'm not suggesting that the internet is an alternative to any medical help. But there are some fairly decent types of sites and, and um, organizations that can be helpful. And maybe that's it. Maybe researching a particular organization to help myself. And I am not anti-therapy. I have a wonderful therapist. <laughs> and I just go in with this stack of boxes and throw it at her feet and say, okay, let's talk about these. <laughs> Um, but maybe if I, because I love research so much, maybe if I was able to find some, um, some websites that would be helpful and that would be rather non-threatening, maybe that would be good. So Judy, we spoke a lot about, you know, the stress that's sort of in your chest and then sort of in your mind and, and family and all that you know, what do you, what do you suppose is the next few steps you can, you can take to move the needle forward? Um, 
<clears throat> I think I, I think the best tool for me, whatever, uh, whatever I discover or whatever I decide um, is the it is to make myself calm down and to, and to continue to say to myself, I cannot fix this. I, I don't, it's just not within my power. Um, we happen to be a Christian family, so we know who's in charge, but sometimes that knowledge is, is not really the first thing that comes to the fore either, sadly. Um, so I, I, the best way that I can be helpful to them and to myself is to adopt a really serious program of just calming down and, and not trying to sweep this under the rug, but really doing some self-care. And that doesn't mean, you know, getting a pedicure. I mean, serious. Um, that's why I said meditation. I've never been good at meditation. And so I, I'm curious about it, but you know, I, I don't know. Um, maybe going back to my yoga practice, because I really did enjoy that. Some, something that I can do once or twice a day to just calm myself down. So what's your idea of meditation? Well, the meditation uh, that I did, um, I think I started it during cancer. I don't think I had meditated before cancer, um, was simply sitting um, comfortably and closing my eyes. And I had this really, I still have it, this really cool timer that's kind of a wooden pyramid that has a start gong and an end gong. And then just trying to shut everything out, repeating a mantra. And the shutting everything out part was the really hard part. Because I kept thinking, oh, I wonder how much longer it is. Oh, stop thinking that. Oh, I have so much to do today. Oh, you're thinking that too. Now stop that. And it was more a fight with myself than anything else. <laughs> did you do it in silence or did you I have did. music? No, okay. I did it in silence. Music, I would have been tapping my toes. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, didn't, I didn't have uh, a professional, an adult, help me. Um, I did it all on my own. <laughs> mm. I would... Uh, sort of adding another element like music, how would that work? Instrumental music, how would that work? It could. I, I never thought about it. I thought I was, it was supposed to be completely quiet. Mm. That's a good idea. Writing that down. And then you mentioned sort of this idea of breathing. Mm -hmm. right? How would that work for you? Well, so if you focus on your breathing isn't that focusing on something when you're supposed to focus on nothing? It's the whole supposed to, I'm, I'm very rule bound. So it's the whole supposed to that, that gets me. Hmm. What if the supposed to is not focusing on breathing, but focusing on the body parts that we were doing earlier? How would that work for you? I could do that. Do you give me permission to do that? <laughs> yes. I give you permission to do that. Okay. Um, so how could you hold yourself accountable for some of these changes that you want to make? I think perhaps, um, I think one of the things 
that will be most helpful is if I recognize, so as I said, I, I go to sleep thinking about this, I wake up thinking about this, um, I hike pretty soon after, after waking up. And that's, that's a really good solitary thing. I don't listen to music. I, I'm blessed to live in an area of Phoenix where there's lots of mountains and lots of solitude and quiet. And so that's really good. And then I go up to the top of a little mountain and sort of um, just count my blessings. And so all of that is good. But I think during the day, when I start feeling the panic about, oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? I think if at that moment I could just step away and have 20 minutes to myself, I think that would be good. And I think, you know, I don't know, again, being fairly rule bound, I don't know if that means then saying, okay, today I did it twice. Today I did it once today, you know, I have to do it at least once a day. I don't know if that's helpful or not. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to relax by being so regimented. Mm. Or maybe that is relaxing to me and that's okay. And do you feel or sense that if you did those things that things would change in your life? I'm kind of a person that believes if it's not harmful to me or others, trying something isn't all bad. I mean, I used to have a, a boss in the advertising world and he taught me to say to clients, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And if you don't like what you're getting, then you got to stop what you're doing. And of course, we were talking about buy television, buy print, don't buy radio, don't buy television. It was those kinds of things. But I think that's true in, in our personal lives as well, um, that we need to recognize that if what we're doing isn't helping, you know, if simply wishing that tomorrow will be better and that's not helping, then I, then I need a different path. So I'm willing, I'm certainly willing to try that. Yeah. I see your posture is sort of upright now. How, How's that sensation and feeling in your chest and, and, you know, your sort of head earlier? How's that I, feeling now? I like having a plan and I like having something new to try that may or may not work. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else new. But, but I was kind of stuck. I didn't, I didn't quite know what to do next. So even just talking about it out loud, um, is wonderful. I adore my husband. He's so sweet. Um, he's, he's a retired fire chief. He, he doesn't mind listening to me talk about my feelings. Um, but he doesn't know what else to do except just listen. And he's, he's just sort of a, cause this was his entire professional life. You know, we got to get this done and then we move on to the next fire. So <laughs> I'm like, no, wait, we really have to wonder why this fire happened. <laughs> Although he did, he did a little bit of that too in his career. So it's always good, I think, to speak to somebody. And, and I love the fact that you have such a calm voice. I'm sure I'm not the first to tell you that. And you encouraged me to speak more about it and sort of arrive at the conclusion on my own. So as an author, what would you title this new chapter? 
Judy tries something new. <laughs> <laughs> Judy tries something new. No, I, maybe Judy calms down because surely um, whatever it is I find that works is going to be an incredibly successful tool um, for life's challenges down the road. I mean, let's, let's face it. We are never without challenges, some bigger than others. And I apparently don't have in my repertoire what I need for this, but man, if I can find that, I, I'm going to be in pretty good shape for a while. That sounds wonderful. So this is a good time or a good place for us to transition. Are you good with it? Perfect. Sure. Wonderful. So I'm going to go into the interview portion. So tell my audience more about Judy L. Pearson, what you do, who you serve, and and what your mission is. Absolutely. And I have to, I have to say, I encourage you to call me Judy, which is what everybody calls me, unless they think they should call me Judith. When I wrote my first book, um, my ex-husband said I should use Judith on the cover because it made me sound smarter. He's my ex-husband, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Judith L. Pearson stuck on the covers. Um, but then I tell people I'm really just Judy. Uh, I've always loved to write. Um, I still have this wonderful old three ring notebook of funny story or not funny. They're funny now, but of stories and poems and song lyrics that I wrote as a, um, as a teenager full of angst. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I got to a point in my life where I, I had been, um, a single mom married the ex, the now ex-husband who told me to add Judith up until this husband, I wasn't a good picker, but I stayed married twice for 15 years. Um, and I told my darling husband that I wasn't getting a divorce again. If this didn't work out, I was just going to kill him. So there, now that's out there. Um, but I, I had the opportunity to leave the advertising world to write full time, thought I was going to be the next great American novelist. And instead my dad was visiting. We went to a military antique store. I found some papers and artifacts belonging to a former POW of the Imperial Japanese Army who made, who was put aboard the last hell ship going from the Philippines to the home islands to be a uh, slave laborer in the mines and the factories. And I was shocked. I didn't know any of this. And that became my first book 20 years ago. I had written two novels. They've never been published, although my husband really feels like the second one would be great and should be a series. But I just love telling real stories. And I'm thrilled to say, so that book came out um, two weeks after 9-11. So it was already in print uh, or in the printing process before 9-11 happened which changed the face of the world and was also an unprovoked attack on the US. So the, the irony of that was really something. It um, is still available in audio and digital, but the print version, um, they stopped printing it, I don't remember, five, six years ago. I took back the rights and it's being re-released November 9th. And I'm really excited about wow. it. We have a New Forward, written by a, a wonderful, the former um, naval medicine historian, um, some new information, and then the story that 
it came out just before 9-11. My son was about to take off for his first assignment in the Air Force. My granddaughter was a newborn. So here, 20 years later, is what's happened to them. So it's really, it, it's really a, a sweet event. That led to the second book called Wool, oh, That's Belly of the Beast. The Wolves at the Door then is about the Pacific or about the European theater of the war um, and a woman called Virginia Hall, who was the architect of the resistance in central France and who only had one leg, which made her pretty remarkable. She went on to be the first, uh, one of the first women CIA um, employees. And that's been purchased for a movie Although we'll have to see what happens. Hollywood moves very slowly. And then cancer came and I couldn't find the next great story to tell. So afterwards, I wrote a little anthology of articles and blogs that I'd done uh, during cancer um, just as a, as a fundraiser for a variety of different um, nonprofits. And I founded my own nonprofit called A Second Act uh-huh. because I had come across some research that I'd done before cancer about the health benefits of volunteering. There's great healing and helping. During my, my own treatment and afterwards, I was meeting women survivors who were doing amazing things in their survivorship. So I kind of connected the two, you know, the volunteering and the cancer and created a second act. And as the result of that, I met a woman who became the inspiration for the next book, which came out in March, this past March, called From Shadows to Life. It is a biography of the cancer survivorship movement. Prior to the 1980s, cancer survivors led a very different life than we do today. And 50 years ago, in 1971, Richard Nixon signed the National Cancer Act on December 23rd, promising that the research money he was giving to cancer research would not only improve the survivability, because at that time only half the people diagnosed survived, regardless of cancer type, but that he would also see to it that it was cured by the bicentennial. So everyone's laughing now, but, um, but it did change the prognosis. However, cancer survivors still lived in the shadows, fear of contagion, fear of being puny employees. You could lose your job. If you had insurance, it could be revoked. Employment applications could actually ask if you had ever had cancer. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, And a group of people came together in 1986. Oh, you couldn't join the military. You couldn't adopt children and uh, college students, children survivors, childhood survivors couldn't find roommates. So this group of people came together in 1986 and said, this stops. And they began advocating for all the things that we survivors enjoy today. Um, They are, they were the founding body of what is now the national cancer national coalition for cancer survivorship. And although we may not know that organization, their work continues today to be sure that, our long-term effects are treated as chronic issues because of our treatments or because of our diseases. And it was a marvelous, marvelous research project. It's not just that woman's story. It's actually 
I follow five of the founders and leaders of the organization, but it gave me the opportunity to talk about how far um, treatment for a variety of cancers um, has come. And because of that book, I found the woman who is the focus, the sole focus of my next book that I spoke about earlier. It's fascinating, Judy. This is really, I mean, extremely fascinating. I mean, I know you and I connected, and I want to thank you for contributing to my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global. I survived cancer, and here's how I did it. I wanted to ask you, what, what has been the experience and your response from that article? That article um, was, first of all, really fun to do. Your process is super easy, and I loved being involved and, and being a part of it and was very honored to do so as I'm honored to be here today. Um, but I, I loved being able to post it and kind of a joke. I have become, as a result of the book that came out in March from Shadows to Life, I've become much more adept at promoting myself on social media. And as soon as I found out that it had been uh, published, I even jumped your gun and started promoting it. And then you were like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I got great feedback from it. Great feedback. So I feel really, really blessed and I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a writer, people always ask me, what's your process? How do you do it? And I'm so afraid. What's your process? How do you write? I um, haven't done so for a while, but I used to periodically lead writing workshops in various locales. And the biggest, my, my, biggest advice to anyone, regardless of what they're writing, is not to worry about starting at the beginning, not to necessarily have to do everything in order. You you write, whether it's by necessity or, um, or you've made the commitment that you're going to write, and you do so because you got an idea. Start with the idea and work outward. Maybe that idea is the first chapter or the last chapter. Maybe it's the middle. And maybe you won't know until you start writing. So because I write nonfiction, um, it's a little easier to be organized because you're writing, I'm writing about someone who's already done something. So I kind of know where they start and where they end. But for me, a cradle to grave uh, diatribe about their life is not very interesting. So I usually try to start with a prologue that's actually the idea that I got or the thing, the turning point, the thing I think is the most instrumental in someone's life. I love to write. I can't wait to get into my office and sit down and write. My other big gem of advice regardless of whether, again, you're doing this um, as a profession or you need to do a writing project for XYZ or you just want to do this. And that is you have to create for yourself sacred writing days. And you may only be able to squeeze one in a week or three or maybe all five days. For me, it's three days a week. The other three day or the other two days, 
are um, the days that I run errands, I go to luncheons, I do things for my nonprofit, but I don't make any appointments on the sacred writing days. That's why I'm talking to you on a Tuesday. It is not a sacred writing day. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. That's but it's a really, and that is not my idea. Um, an author friend who's, who's written some fabulous books. Um, when I first met her, trying to set up a phone uh, phone conversation. And she was like, oh, I can't. That's my sacred writing day. And I was like, it's your what? <laughs> and when she explained it, I was like, oh, man, that's brilliant. Because for women, going to a lunch isn't simply getting in a car, eating and coming back. It's I put on my makeup. I decide what to wear. I need to make sure I look okay. It becomes, you know, a one-hour luncheon becomes a three and a half, four-hour process. So, Judy, what's the dream? The dream is to keep telling stories of amazing people for as long as I possibly can. We study history to learn from it. That's really wow. like a well-used wow. well phrase, but it's so true. It's absolutely so true. And even, even the re-release of, of Belly of the Beast, um, the book that's coming out November 9th, it's a horrific story. And it's important to remember that the entire Japanese nation was not at fault, just like the entire German nation was not at fault. It's easier with Germany because there's a moniker, the Nazis. We can all hate the Nazis. Japan is a little bit more difficult because there's not a particular name. But little by little, the military took over and removed the civilians and government and pretty soon, and, and they sort of sidelined the emperor, and pretty soon they were running the show. And they wanted to control all of Asia. And so we need to learn from that so we don't let that happen again. Hopefully anywhere in the world, but we need to make sure to protect ourselves here in America. And there's, a, I love the archives, the National Archives in Washington, D.C., the, the original archives building is downtown and then the military archives are out at College Park, Maryland. But the, the original building is this wonderful, old, beautiful building as so many are in DC. And above the, the front door, it's on uh, Constitution Avenue, above the front door, it is etched, the past is prologue. And I love that too. Yeah. So meaning whatever's happened before that was just the prologue of what's coming next. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. All right. So tell my uh, audience and listeners where they can find out more about you on the internet. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks to my ex-husband, <laughs> <laughs> Judith L Pearson, P E A R S O N.com. You can read the prologues to my books, um, get links to Amazon. Um, a lot of events, a lot of my events now are virtual and many are open to the public. So I invite people to join in. They're really fun. Um, and my nonprofit is a second act and it's second with a two ND dot um, org. I highly recommend uh, stopping by there. We do a storytelling event, big surprise, as our annual fundraiser. And all 58 of the women who've told stories from our stages, their individual videos, you can search them by cancer type, 
are on the site. And we're women centric, not because we don't care about men and men's cancer, but because men and women heal differently. And um, I think that healing in gender groups is more effective than trying to heal in cancer groups. So women, women heal by communicating and nurturing and collaborating. Men heal, this, this is not my line, a male survivor told me this, men heal um, on the golf course and the ball field and you know, hammering nails and those kinds of things, which is great. That's what Habitat for Humanity, you know, another, another gem from Habitat for Humanity. So, but I invite, I invite listeners to stop by and give a listen. That's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you, your energy, your thoughts. Thank you so, so much for participating. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for the ideas. I'm excited to give them all a try. I'll report back. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks again, Judy. Absolutely. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.